0: Movement has a direct relationship to neuroplasticity and brain changes.
1: You're listening to Good is in the Details. I'm Gwendolyn Volsky,
0: And
2: I'm Rudy Sallow.
1: And this is the podcast where we learn what we didn't know we didn't know in the spirit of Socrates, all in an effort to lead a good life, a better life, a healthier life. This one is actually, this episode is quite suitable. well, wait, Rudy, I see the look on your face. Do you want to add to that intro? I see the look on your face.
2: The only thing I would add to that intro is... You do get all three of those things in this episode because we talk about fitness and we talk about how to lead a better life and how fitness can lead to a better life. But in general, our podcast is all about leading a good life. But this episode, it's a threefer, And we talk about three-furs, and we talk about two-furs, and we talk about smart multitasking with Rich Fahmy of the National Institute of Sports Medicine.
1: Yeah, this is great. We talk about what is fitness, what is wellness, and also just the neuroscience behind it. Really, what does it mean, movement in your everyday life, and how it's not just about exercise, it's not just about the body, but we're talking about the mind-body connection. So if anybody wants some inspiration in terms of movement, or if you want to understand more, about fitness and what is wellness. This is a perfect episode. It's really inspiring. I loved it. Rich is awesome.
2: And for those listeners of ours who happen to, we might have gone to high school with them. Rich also is a, a Servite 1995 grad, keeping in the theme of the whole Catholic school thing that we'll talk a little bit about that too. But those who we've gone to high school with, here's another one of our brothers and sisters coming onto the show.
1: For sure. Okay, let's talk fitness and wellness. Okay, Rudy, are you ready?
0: I am ready. Let's move forth.
1: All right, Rich, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for bringing me on.
1: And we should mention that both you and Rudy went to the same high school, my brother's school survey, Anaheim.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. you're both
1: recovered
2: Pray to, yes yeah re- recovered <laughs> i will always i will always be recovering Congratulations. so social awkwardness around the opposite sex i will be recovering <laughs> for the rest of my life.
0: i don't know i thought i thought you did pretty well rudy i thought yeah. you were okay that's, no that's a
2: whole that's a whole other podcast episode okay
0: We'll. we'll have to do that
2: yes so well, totally
0: well, i'd be happy that is
1: not there. the direction i thought this was going okay <laughs> But thank you, you, for opening the door.
0: Yeah. If you need context on Rudy's high school behavior, (laughs) (laughs) I'll keep most of it. it I
2: was in a a punk rock, angry punk rock band for a reason. It was because I was surrounded by all dudes all day long. (laughs) I remember that. That'll make Um, you angry.
0: Let's see how good my memory is, uh, Dragon Repellent?
2: That was the last that, band, that was the last one band? of the ones I was in. That was the worst band I was ever in, although the most, <laughs> one of the most successful in how I was able to accomplish so little with what little I had. And Gwen, a future guest on this podcast was from that terrible band. He's actually a very well-known successful musician, but that's a oh, whole cool. other side. Huge fan of the show, it's a whole other side story. All
1: right, cool. Well, Rich, you're here to talk about wellness and fitness and leadership. So could you tell us a little bit about your background? How did you even get started on this journey about wellness and fitness?
0: Sure. So uh, like many people... I was pre-med, coming out of high school and going into my undergrad. Both my parents are doctors, so I just thought my whole life that's what I was going to do. Finish my undergrad, and then I start working at a neurology office as a medical assistant because I, I thought I was going to go into neurology, and neuroscience. But you know, I made the decision that before I just hand my life over to medicine because that's what would have happened. I was sitting there going, okay, let me go be a personal trainer just temporarily because this was really cool. I saw some success with a program at my local gym, and let me just do something a little different and fun as a quick little sabbatical, I guess, for medicine before going into it. And then I went in, started doing it, was really good at it and good at it by good at it. I mean, I sold a lot of personal training because that was really the metric is wow. you could, you sell a whole lot. You know, I don't know if I was a quality trainer or not, but I could sell and just talk to people that what I started to realize was, was fitness and health were more linked than I had thought. I saw that whole industry as kind of a, and it's still a pretty young industry because this was over 20 years ago, 22 years ago. I saw that as healthcare. And medicine is increasingly becoming disease care. I had that really awkward conversation with my mom going, you know, I kind of see this as the route I want to take when it comes to health and wellness and this industry, not being a neurologist. So that was interesting. Uh, we reconnected a year ago and now we're talking again, which is, I'm, I'm just kidding. I, really
2: I, I, um, I was get, You're just kidding because she's still not talking
0: to you. She's still that's, not talking that's why, to me. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. Right. That's, 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 I haven't talked a doctor a in 23 years. So, so yeah, but she was actually surprisingly supportive and it, it came out. Not that. She actually questioned my choice of neurology because she, for whatever reason, she, the neurologist she's ever worked with were all sort of odd in her book. The neurologist I was working with was a great guy and a great mentor. And he said, you know, you're going to spend a good chunk of your residency going down to the ER to decide if someone's brain dead or not. You know, that's going to be a neurology career at the beginning. So I just kind of took stock of all that and went, you know, I think this is actually the better way to, and I figured out there are still things that, that I wanted to do in medicine. I can actually achieve through the health and fitness industry, although albeit at a much reduced income. At least to start, but that's okay. It wasn't necessarily about the money. If you just fast forward through, I've had different versions of personal training jobs, but also a lot of fitness management jobs and leadership roles at local and national levels with fitness and group exercise, different roles in account management and education. And then now landed at the National Academy of Sports Medicine. I've been teaching for them for 12 years now, but came on full-time about four years ago. I'm a content development manager. So what I do is I oversee the building and development of of our different courses or products. So I lead a team of content developers, instructional designers. We make education basically for sale in the health, fitness, and wellness industry. And the one that we just did that I'm the most proud of is actually certified wellness coach, which came out about six months ago. That one we hope is really going to change the industry a whole bunch, especially after the pandemic, the focus on holistic wellness, as opposed to just looking good has uh, changed how how consumers see movement really in general.
1: I I love that you're saying that as opposed to looking good, because I think that there is, I felt this as a woman, that there was a pressure about body type and that fitness seems to have been around a woman being attractive for somebody else instead of for her own sake, for home body. I have a couple of questions for you. Could you clarify what wellness and fitness mean? Do they go hand in hand or maybe that's one of the issues is that fitness was not discussed in terms of wellness. Is there something there?
0: For sure. I mean, I I will say the point that you brought to about being a woman and 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 I'll leave it alone because that could be a whole section of this conversation if you want, or even a different one is that we are, the industry has kind of, uh, and not just fitness, but the weight loss industry in particular has really pushed the idea that your best self is automatically your thinnest self. Mm-hmm. and best looking self. So there, I'll leave that there to think about, but that's one of these things that we're starting to realize that the messaging, our delivery is fine. The heart of professionals is great. What everyone's trying to do in this industry is spot on. It's really just the messaging that I think that we're running into an issue. But if we look at, let's say health, fitness, and wellness, because those things are often used interchangeably, right? What do we mean by those? If you look at health, probably the most accepted definition is from the World Health Organization. I think it was maybe 1949 or so. It's a state of complete Complete physical, mental, and social wellness, and not just the absence of disease. If we look at health fitness, I tend to think of in terms of a a work capacity in whatever endeavor you're looking at. And that could be anything. And it can be based on who you are, your environment, your context, your social needs, your daily activity needs. So that really just depends on each individual standpoint from a cardiorespiratory capacity standpoint, from even an athletic standpoint, obviously the work capacity needs of a division one linebacker are going to be different than someone who their main thing, their main activities are golfing and gardening, let's say. That's how I define fitness. Does your work capacity meet your needs in whatever sense, whether it's athletic or not? And wellness, wellness is hard because you have to define it every time you talk about it. It's and not necessarily hard, but it's it's one of those things where you really have to define it when you discuss it, because people will talk about oh, financial wellness and relationship wellness. Then you start getting into life coaching and all that. So if you think about my world, the health and fitness industry, a holistic wellness approach that's really about someone's personal journey and emphasis on the word personal. So it's someone's individual personalized journey toward the mental, physical, social, and emotional betterment of their life, right? That's how I would look at wellness. It's a larger picture and fitness is certainly part of that. The main difference between the two is really how the coaching gets done fitness. You can be very prescriptive because I can run some assessments on you and I can go, you know, Gwen, this is where you are in this chart. Right. This is where performance against, you know, scientifically validated performance norms, you fall right here and we want to move you to here or posture. I can do a postural assessment, whatever, a movement quality assessment. And then I can measure those things as we go, or I can measure gains in strength or speed or agility. And so I can be prescriptive in terms of this is exactly what you need to do. Wellness is really more about you. It's much more client centric. It's about what works for you in your journey and moving you forward. And and really it's an accumulation of small wins over time that lead to big wins.
1: That was really hard for me. I think I, the emotional aspect of after let's say having been pregnant and having a certain level of fitness and then trying to exercise again, there was an emotional aspect to realizing what I could not do anymore. And it took some time for me to retrain my mind and accept this is where my, Appreciate what my body had just done, had a baby, and then go through a C-section, which we don't talk about as a major, major surgery to recover from, and then appreciate that what the steps that I would have to take. So my understanding of fitness and it had to change. And so there was a lot more walking, running was off the table. I started working on yoga because that was the easiest thing to do with a baby around um, instead of weightlifting, for instance, and weightlifting just wasn't possible. But I had to get over this emotional hurdle a feeling that I had somehow failed. That I, wasn't, mm. that I wasn't doing well or I wasn't as good as before instead of accepting this is where my body is and this is what is possible. So I'm very much interested in that mind-body connection. What has been your experience of the breakthroughs that maybe somebody has on a mental level as a result of working on their body?
0: So there's actually a, a lot of research on the mind-body connection and wellness. I think some of the first thing I will say, congrats, congratulations on that journey. Cause even though that was a very specific time in your life, That really sums up what the difference is between fixating on physiological outcomes as a result of fitness or aesthetic outcomes and using movement as a means of wellness. You really experienced that. And, and, uh, my, uh, my two and a half year old now was born via C-section. And and so, you know, that is major abdominal surgery and people do underestimate that. So that is a lot to go through. When we look at the the mind body connection though. So there's a concept called, I think it's largely a psychological or psychology concept called embodied cognition. And it's maybe one way to frame it is the classical idea of how this, the mind body connection works is our nervous system receives input from the outside world and the environment our brain then interprets it and then creates movement or a response. So it's this very sort of linear progression, uh, stimulus and response, but embodied cognition really it says it's multi-directional and it's sort of this all is one when it comes to emotion processing, cognition and behavior, including movement is our entire body essentially thinks It's probably the simplest way I can put it. And one example that I have is if you're driving in a car, a bicyclist goes by you, the parts in your brain responsible for riding a bicycle, motor pathways, those are gonna light up. Even though you're not riding a bike, but you saw someone on a bike. So just because you see something, your body responds with understanding how you interact with it, even though you're not about to get on a bike. The fact that you don't have to think to navigate if you're on a hiking trail, for example, the changes in terrain or level going across rocks or, you know, slippery surfaces, you're not really thinking about that. Your body is just, your body is thinking, right? You're not consciously thinking. It's the idea that your whole body and your mind and your emotions are a single unit that interact with the world. As opposed to a stimulus response. So if if we take that, and this is an overly simplistic way of looking at it, and I'm sure psychologists, if anyone is listening, that's a PhD in psychology would probably want to stab me in the eyes with a spoon or something going through that simply. But in terms of the research on it, there are tons of things where the system's are interrelated with movement in particular, because when we talk about mind-body, I think movement is probably the best framework or the best point of reference for that. So there are these things called myokines, which is sort of the sexy term in exercise physiology right now for about the past three or four years. Uh, But myokines are these peptides that get released when you move and they get released from your skeletal muscle. And it turns out they actually affect all kinds of things like your immune function, metabolic responses. They affect other tissues and organs in the body. they also in particular increase something called brain derived neurotrophic factor, BDNF, threefold increase in that in your brain when you exercise or following exercise. And what those do is they create new connections. So movement has a direct relationship to neuroplasticity and brain changes. So we're starting to realize that, you know, how everyone always talks about, oh, you exercise for stress and exercise for this, exercise for that, keeps you healthy. But now we're starting to get a look at actually how that occurs. also the the endocannabinoid system is another one where all the other receptors all over your body for the endocannabinoid system. And these are sort of signaler uh, modulators that have a response in terms of, you know, immune response, brain health, digestive health, all these different things. So there is a, the connection there, it will change your brain. It'll change connections. It'll change how you see the world. It'll change your emotion processing. It will change your cognition in terms of even just memory and attention. There's all kinds of things that happen as a result of movement and working on your body. It's, it's pretty amazing. The best way I can put it is when you move your muscles release sort of this pharmacy.
1: Ah, I like that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. that's That's the simplest way to put put
0: it.
2: it. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and and, and Rich, is there a, and I'm sorry to speak in kind of, I'm trying to, trying to bring this down to simplistic because I'm a simplistic person. So you always hear people out there, maybe it's your doctor or maybe it's some people that are not true health and wellness experts like you are, but they say minimum 20 minutes a day of exercise. People like to speak in these generalities, right? Like, can you get benefits, like the pharmacy being released in your body from as little as 20 minutes a day or I mean, is there? I don't don't want to make you say minimums or maximums because I'm sure in your industry you probably don't like to say minimums or maximums. It's probably well, it depends upon you as an individual, right? If I'm hearing you correctly, everything is individualistic. Are there some generalities that you could speak to that say, look, if you can do X, you will probably get at least uh, minimum benefits of Y. Can you speak to any of those?
0: Sure. So a lot of it really comes down to what's in the research and the, the research tends to be, it, there's a lot of variance, of course, across these different domains and areas, but the research tends to be 30 minutes of cardiorespiratory or aerobic activity. Most or all days of the week. And that's at a moderate intensity. Also two days of strength training a week. So that tends to be the pattern you see the most, about 30 minutes a day of, of cardio, two strength training sessions a week. Now, when we say moderate activity, the best way I can, and this is a whole other podcast. If you guys ever want to get into my, how I feel about heart rate and all that stuff, I'm glad to do that. And I could probably talk about that for two hours, but the best way for me to talk about moderate activity is you're breathing harder. But if, if I asked you a question, you could still give me about a five word sentence before you take a breath. So that's about what we, call, we consider moderate activity. That's By what intensity happens when activity, I look at Rudy's hair. Yes. No. Yes. Yeah. Her yeah. Yeah, yeah.
2: heart starts to flutter, and then she just I mean, loses it. You what you talk, talk, talk about is jogging, it. then. I mean, I guess. I guess that. No, that's not. I'm not. I'm not. I, you're not. Saying you can that. still speak. Well, it's no. It depends on the individual. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, I, There you go. it it's depends relative. upon your athletic training, we, whether or not you could say a five word sentence. So somebody who's in terrific shape, right? Like Usain Bolt could probably, who knows what, what will make it for him to be able to be, to barely speak a five word sentence as, as compared to somebody else. So that's where the individualism comes into there, Rich.
0: Yes. It's all relative. And that's also why, uh, without going too far down this rabbit hole, the heart rate, uh, your ability to breathe to me is a better gauge than heart rate because heart rate can vary because of all different things a whole bunch of factors but your your ability to to speak And you you guys have heard of this in terms of talk tests, but people don't get into the talk test as much. They just kind of say, oh, can you say full sentences? And you're fine. Not really. It's actually a lot more detailed than that. There's actually really good research correlation between your talk test, how well you can speak before you have to take a breath and your actual Mm -hmm. VO2 max. I'm going to stop there. But that's where you get the individuality because the talk test actually is giving you your metabolic response to exercise, not your cardiovascular response to exercise. That's where it becomes really, really helpful. And I've seen some incredible athletes that basically look like they weren't breaking a sweat and they're just running probably eight miles an hour or something crazy just they're just cruising and it, they were going to break the machine kind of a thing. It was a test to see, check out their gas, gas exchange. And we, we couldn't get them anaerobic within the limits of the treadmill. The the wow. training it's, it's amazing. So wow. yeah, someone like a Usain Bolt versus someone like, you know, me trying to walk 10 feet, right. I'm going to be breathing heavily in terms of minimums though. So that's where it gets, it does get tricky. If you look at for the, I believe it's the Centers for Disease Control or the National Institutes of Health. There are recommendations they have, and it's two resistance training sessions a week and 150 minutes a week accumulated of moderate activity or 75 minutes a week of vigorous activity. That's all great. And then that's where you get a lot of the benefits that we talk about is are at those numbers, but it doesn't mean you don't get any benefits under that. And if I take a sedentary person. And I go, all right, we're going to get your nutrition going. You're going to get 150 minutes a week of activity because that's a minimum and two strength training sessions a week. And I'm right now at zero. You're losing me right away. There's no way. I'm not going to do that. The idea really, when it comes to wellness is what is the minimal doable action for you. The good news is when we're looking at it from a movement standpoint and not just a fitness standpoint is it all counts. Mm -hmm. So am I going to do more chores throughout my house? Right. Am I going to get up and vacuum and you do something, say like, I, you know, if I'm right-handed, I'll vacuum with my left hand. I might t- might take a little bit more effort, might take a little bit longer, but maybe I got more movement and, you know, silly stuff like that. And that kind of thing counts as movement. And really, you do start to get some benefits with that, even though you're not looking at, you know, research-level benefits. That way, you can really tailor something to an individual because it is it is, a, you know, context-driven and it is relative to the person. And then you so start
1: to crave it after a while. I think that's something that is hard to get into that mind space of somebody who's starting out because it seems to be so difficult and they're putting something in their schedule that they're not accustomed to. But then once you get used to it, you start to crave it. I mean, I know for me, one of the things that I do is I live, there's there's an incline where I live and there's the grocery store at the bottom of the hill. I will pack my daughter up, put her in the stroller. And then walk down that hill, get the groceries, and in the stroller is now more weight and push it back up. So Mm -hmm. I've put the exercise into just an errand that I need to do. And then I also listen to a podcast on my walk. So that's an inexpensive type of thing to do. And now I crave it. I mean, I have to tell you, like, for a while that sucked, especially in this heat. But now it's like, this is my time. I can listen to a podcast, I go to the grocery store, and I've got my daughter in the stroller, we're outside. and it feels really good.
2: You know, I'm really glad you brought that up. This is something that I, that I, that I seriously do want to write an article about because a lot of people are always asking me, like, how do you achieve a whole bunch of things at the same time? And I, and I actually believe in the power of smart multitasking. And in my opinion, Gwen, what you were just talking about right there was a perfect example of it. You spent time with your daughter. You went grocery shop. You ran an errand. Like, you got to eat. Literally. You, you literally, literally and, ran and you, in it, and, and <laughs> yeah, and, and you and you went, you packed all these groceries, and you you put them in, into the stroller, and you push it up the hill. I mean, you achieved three very essential things, all all within within making a choice of combining them all together. And it, I like to do that myself. What I like to do is I like to walk my children to school. At the same time, I bring the dog because the freaking dog walker it wants to charge me thirty dollars a day now. That's a whole other podcast <laughs> can talk about inflation with dog going
1: Inflation. Forget
2: about it. Forget about it. But seriously, I, I get to spend some time with the kids, teach them the power of not relying upon an automobile, with, which is, you know, I talk incessantly about. I walk the dog, save some money all the same time, and I get some exercise. And so I do try to construct my entire day, actually, my entire life. Uh, when I go and business develop, uh, when I go to a city, I always try to meet as many people as humanly possible, achieve as many things all at once. But, like, but, but Rich, do you? Do you talk about that to people that are sedentary and try to get them to change their way of thinking? Like, I love the vacuuming with a different hand. That's terrific. I mean, they save money because they're not paying for a maid. Yeah, I I might try that too. (laughs) They save money because they're not hiring a maid. They're getting exercise. They're getting off. I mean, so is it that, and there's so much negativity against, All multitasking is bad. I mean, I really do think that the argument that people need to start talking a little bit differently about the concept of multitasking. I have like, I am writing like not necessarily a book, but articles about changing the way people think about doing two things at once. Is that something that you teach at the National Academy of Sports Medicine?
0: It's something that we did, especially in our certified wellness coach course, we talk a lot about finding what works for somebody and that would be included in that. The thing that happens too is it actually becomes very freeing when you're like, hey, you know, you don't really have to go to the gym. If it, the gym is a depressing place for you and it's just a reminder of how you feel about yourself, then go take a walk with your dog. Because being in nature, has a. that's a totally different podcast. We want to talk about nature bathing and, and exercising outdoors. That's a whole different thing too. There's tons. Tons of value in that. And of course, being in the sunlight and all that, you know, find different ways to incorporate movement in your day or whatever it is, the multitasking thing, really, I love it. I think people get too weird about it. They think when we're talking about multitasking being a problem, it's when I'm focusing at work, right. And I'm answering emails or whatever. I'm trying that's, that's the issue where, yeah, you can't focus on things, truly give your focus. But you know, if I'm washing dishes and I have my headphones in and I'm listening to a podcast, that's great. What you don't see is on the floor. I've got one of these sandbag things, training things. And so I just got a wireless headset because what I wanted to do is if I'm on a, you know, we all have these phone calls where you don't really have to talk much. It's mm-hmm. sort of, you just go hey i'm here and at the end you're like okay thanks everybody when you feel like you participated uh, <laughs> but everyone else is doing all that talking so it's but, office but space now. yeah it is but then i can mute myself and, you know, kind of work out while I'm on this phone call and I'm listening. You know, whatever works for somebody is really what you should do. It's kind of this, don't feel like you have to get a 30 minute session on a treadmill and you, and you put these crazy constraints on you when really it's just get it in, just get the movement in, just get the activity in. Something else I'll do is as much as I want to be the guy that takes six to seven grocery bags in per arm, I will intentionally take multiple trips. If I think about it, you know, just because it's extra steps, whatever. And it's not, it's not an with my day it's just another way to get movement in because i know it's i know it's good for me and and the other piece of that too is finding what's enjoyable um, as on,
1: well. on that note um rudy i'm gonna make you uncomfortable so you can just you know mute yourself oh, or don't, don't, you can talk, step don't away. talk sex i'm talking sex because all can do. i'm, talk I do can not, say, I'm I, I, sorry i'm it was sorry nice, it was nice there. seeing you, it was nice knowing you. Yeah, you I, take care enjoy. i'll see you in 25 years just a little bit more movement i mean mm-hmm. change up the position if we're going to change the vacuum No, Rudy. Rudy left. Rudy left. Is there a relationship between, let me just ask, is there a relationship between fitness and wellness and, um, sexual health? Or, I mean, you could enjoy, I think there's a connection there where you'd enjoy sex or sex would be different. And that that is also movement and its connection. And yeah, the
0: short answer, do you want to count that as movement? Yes.
1: Yes. (laughs) Okay. All right. Rudy, you can come back.
0: (laughs) So, So now here's here's the thing. Me, Thanks for keeping it short. Is, oh, was
2: that a joke? There's someone. That... Oh,
0: ooh, that's good. You it's know, women need more time. Short burst of high intensity activity. Thanks, Rudy. The <laughs> there is something about. I believe it's the endocannabinoid system. This is more theoretical that the research is starting to bear it out a little bit, but the endocannabinoid system, again, endocannabinoids get uh, released from skeletal, where they get released during exercise and they affect all these different systems. And one of the theories is it actually does increase our sensitivity for positive emotions and experiences. What that really means is movement can actually help you enjoy joy more. Oh, Right. So if you want another that's, angle,
2: man, that's a title of a book right there. Enjoy, yeah. Enjoy joy, joy more more. And more. Right. It's great. That's yeah. seriously, it's a, <laughs> that book needs to be written right there. If you can I, back that up with some science and some other,
0: I will plug the person actually that a lot of, if you want her book, it's Dr. Kelly McGonigal. It's called the joy of movement. She's the health oh, psychologist so. at Stanford. Not it's an even, uh, even better
2: about even better title.
0: Yeah. Yeah. She's 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 brilliant. And um, a really nice person. We worked with her on the, on our wellness coach course. She's fantastic. So all the research she's, she has a very steady research diet. She really is on top of her game when it comes to this stuff.
1: I'm wondering with the discussion about wellness and fitness, how has knowing more about that contributed to the idea of leadership and can people interested in leadership in a, just in a broad sense, um, learn from wellness and fitness?
0: So I, I think that for me, if we look at leadership as, you know, having influence or guidance and whether you're a thought leader or a leader of people, I see it as your job is to really provide opportunities or remove obstacles for others as best you can and be, you know, engage in pro-social behavior, right? That's really what we're about and, and having empathy. It turns out too, there is a neurological, neurophysiological basis for empathy. So that for me, leadership and wellness is when you look at your own wellness, it really does help you. This is going to sound too kind of grand, but it helps you understand the humanity and the human condition of people a little bit better because you're really working on your own. And I'm a firm believer that sort of the human condition involves struggle. Like that's just part of it. You want to embrace that because on the other side of it's usually growth that, you know, when you go on a wellness journey, whatever, whatever that looks like for you, whether it's more movement, more mindfulness techniques or, or what that a better sleep, which is all, all really important, that you get a better sense of humanity. And then that makes you a better leader because then you're able to really empathize with the people you're leading or just everyone else around you. And regardless of title or position, that's where I think a lot of leadership is grounded in is the understanding of other people and empathy. And, and it turns out wellness actually has a lot to do with that.
2: I was, I was curious if you, I mean, I, and I know Earlier, you were saying you're talking psychologically, and if there are any psychologists listening, they'd yell at you or anything. But in your coaching or in your wellness or everything, how do you deal with the underlying problems of body dysmorphia? Like if somebody, no matter how they look, they always think they look fat or they always think they look out of shape or they're constantly working out, beating their bodies up to achieve some kind of vision that they'll never be able to achieve. Like, how do you work with that if you do that at all? Do you, or do you just say, you got to go see a psychologist?
0: You, you do, when, when it becomes something where their relationship with themselves or their perception of their body is so negative and problematic and dysfunctional, you, you really do need to get them to a professional. But if we do have someone that comes in and let's say they're kind of recovering from that, or because some things we do know, there, there are certain parameters that have been found in research where we look at for depression, there are certain kinds of activity that work well. For anxiety, there are certain kinds of activity that work well. For addiction, there are certain kinds of activity that work well or or bouts of activity. So for example, I'll give you like PTSD from the recommendations from the research tends to be sort of regular physical activity on most days help mitigate anxiety and depression. And that usually comes in the form of sort of high intensity cardiorespiratory activity because that helps reduce anxiety and hypervigilance. So, you know, things like that, you know, movement would be a huge thing. I would say when someone comes in, Focusing on mindfulness is actually a great place to start because it doesn't require financial investment. It also gets you good at being uncomfortable. Because even to this day, when I try and practice mindfulness, I'm I'm uncomfortable. You know, I'm I'm a fidgeter and I always need to be productive, right? That's always sort of in my head. I need to be doing something at all times. So to sort of sit with myself and just be, that's very uncomfortable. (laughs) So it's the same thing with, yeah. I
2: hate it. I hate being with myself. You hate being with yourself? Yeah, it's terrible. I thought you were a narcissist. I am. You just I know. That's, that, that's why it makes no sense. I am no. literally the worst narcissist on the face of the earth. I hate being. Oh, that's so what you're I'm the saying.
0: self. You're the self-deprecating narcissist, which is a whole new class, and I think that needs to be a book, Rudy. Really. I think you need to write that. And or Gwen, what you're talking about when you were first doing running your errands with a heavier stroller, pushing uphill, fitness, same thing, is or activities like that. All these things get you good at doing challenging things. And doing hard things. And that makes you good at doing hard things elsewhere in life. And it turns out there's actually a dopamine circuit for it. So we usually talk about dopamine in terms of reward and all these studies with mice, you know, pushing a button or or are they willing to push an electrode to get some food or whatever it is, right? But there's actually a you actually get a hit of dopamine for doing hard stuff, for doing challenging things to to running toward things that you fear that are challenging to you. And it turns out that actually reinforces itself. So it itself doing hard things is its own reward. get better at doing hard things. But that would be another thing that I'd say for people is, is find stuff that makes you uncomfortable and find things that are challenging, but things you can still recover from things that don't just freeze you or stop you in your tracks, right? That's whole that we don't want to do anything like that. If the challenge is I'm going to load up the stroller full of groceries and go uphill, that counts. That totally counts.
2: And that's not just in the fitness one that now you're talking about an overall wellness mm-hmm. because, because, okay, if you do something hard, that's fitness wise. Yes, of course your confidence rate rises up, but taking a new job, accepting change in your life, dealing with scorpions, uh, all these types <laughs> of, all these, all these things that yeah. that's what you're talking about. It really, yes. really in the realm of wellness, in order to to maximize your feelings of wellness, do hard things and yes. they compound, they compound much like interest is supposed to, and you feel overall better. Is that the theory behind the whole thing?
0: That's the idea. Yeah. That, that there's a dope, I think it's called the courage circuit, but there is a dopamine circuit for it and doing hard things, whether that's having a tough conversation with an employee at work, right. That's hard. And, you know, things like that, what, whatever it is, that's also why some people like doing these cold plunges. Oh, you yeah. see that a whole lot, right. Is it's, I see.
2: So so sometimes I force myself to get into the shower before it's scalding hot and it's Uh just a little bit cold. I find that to be very hard, uh, Rich, and I feel pretty powerful.
0: Yeah, you you feel great immediately, right? (laughs) I do.
2: I feel like... I. I feel like a narcissist. I feel awesome all of a sudden. There
1: you go. In my ethics class, when we talk about Aristotle and he talks about living well, and he references an activity of the mind. And so he thinks that that is goodness is attached to reason. And we have examples of that. And my students ask if the athlete could fit in that because isn't the athlete about the body? And I said, no, when you look at these extraordinary athletes, there's a reason why they're motivational speakers. Or if you were to ever put yourself in the shoes of the routine of a star athlete, let Let's say LeBron James, you would recognize right away that this is not the, the body and the athleticism is the expression of a mental discipline. That's really extraordinary. They're not detached at all.
0: Yes. The highest level athletes are, you're getting the uh, intersection of talent with discipline and preparedness. And if you saw what these athletes spend on, let's say just recovery tools alone and nutritionists and coaches, it's amazing. It's a tip of the iceberg thing. You're just seeing that peak expression of their performance, but everything that goes into that is just mind blowing.
1: You know, you just said something that I would love to know what you could address about it. What is the significance of rest when it comes to fitness?
0: Mm -hmm. So recovery is seeing a little bit of a, I don't know, it's a renaissance, but it's trendy right now. So people are doing the compression air boots and the massage guns and all that, which, which are all great. All have good research. And rest is the way I look at it is everything is a rhythm when it comes to stress and recovery, when it comes to sleep and wake cycles. For example, people tend to look at sleeping and waking as two different things, but they're really just the same cycle. So everything you're doing when you're awake is really preparing you for sleep. And everything you're doing when you're sleeping is really preparing you for being awake. Mm. It's all part of the same thing and they're Mm. not really separate. So same thing with stress and recovery. And I used to do this a lot when I would train my clients, I would ask them when they always, when they came in, their quick routine was, how are you doing? How are you? Feeling? Did you eat? Are you hydrated? Are you rested? Right, just real quick, just to get a quick rundown of, of how they're doing. Because stress is perceived by the body as just stress, whether it's physical stress, mental stress, um, emotional stress. For example, pain in the brain, whether it's physical or emotional, registers in the same place. So, pain and stress, all the same things as far as your brain's concerned. But if they came in and they go, oh, "I skipped lunch because I was working really hard a project. My boss is super ticked off at me. My just found out my car needs brakes. Uh, my son just told me that he's got a project." to do tomorrow for school that he's had three weeks to do. And so they just come in and there's the stress ball. Well, the last thing I should do is going to be okay, let me come in and let me kick your butt because you're so stressed. But that's what a lot of people want. And that's what some fitness professionals might think. Oh, let me beat the crap out of you because you're having a hard day. Let's work some of the stress out. And really it was the opposite. It was more like, okay, today is gonna be about light movement, stretching, foam rolling, recovery, because that's actually what you need right now. We'll still get some work done, but it's work towards recovery. All the magic happens when it comes to fitness in particular, if you're looking at physiological adaptations like strength and speed and power, the magic happens not when you're working now, the magic happens when you're resting. So that's why it's so vital because, you know, you're not getting bigger muscles when you're training, you're getting bigger muscles when you're resting and your body's repairing itself. The idea is everyone has to find their right mix of application of stress and then time to recover. And the idea is if you have adequate resources to recover, you recover from that stress, but you land better than you were when you first applied that stress, right? So you're getting better every time. If you apply stress and there's inadequate recovery, then you you haven't met the demands of that stress or a to that stress, then you're actually going to be, you might see this when you're you know, in your gyms or facilities, people working very hard day in, day out, but they might say, gosh, I just feel really tired all the time. I kind of feel worse than I did when I first started working out and my energy level is not great. And it's because maybe the total stress in their life, accumulated stress is too great for their recovery resources to accommodate. It's kind of that stress recovery cycle. So rest is, is as important as the workouts themselves.
2: Rich, when we were talking earlier about minimums. And stuff like that. You said something about, you know, should be 30 minutes anaerobic possibly every single day if you could pull it off, right? So I've heard from others out there take one day off and do nothing, sit on the couch or something. I don't subscribe to that. I do try to do at least 30 minutes, you know, combined of something every single day. And I've been convinced that I've been fine about doing that. So this whole concept of, oh, no, no, you, you have to do, you have to do nothing on one day. That's just wrong. Correct.
0: Yeah. It just depends on the person. I mean, you don't have to, when we're saying you're doing 30 minutes a day, are you running sprints and doing plyometrics? No, you're probably getting a good walk-in, right? So you're, you have the ability to apply a little bit of stress and recover adequately for the next day. And that's fine. If you are a high performance athlete, for example, and you're practicing for two hours and you're also hitting uh, exercise and weight management programs for another six hours a week, and and then you're competing, then yeah, I'm going to say you need a day in there where you really just kind of do nothing, just rest we we'll focus on nutrition, do some stretching. Even then there's still active recovery. I can still do like flexibility work and things like that if I want to. Yeah, it really just depends on the person and, and the volume of work that you're trying to do. So you could do most or all days of the week. You could do four days a week. It really just depends on what fits in your lifestyle too and what you enjoy.
1: Is there something that makes you cringe? When you hear, since you're in this industry, and we'll wrap up with this, what is something it, that makes you cringe? She's what? not
0: talking
2: about a specific episode that that, that you've listened to today's <laughs> podcast about me. She's not talking about me. Okay, I, are,
0: we, are we talking she, about? back I'm me out, out of this question. <laughs> Scorpion, yeah. yeah, Scorpion, uh, Rudy in high school moments. find some of
2: those. The whole damn thing is cringeworthy.
0: Let's just like you, see,
1: you see we had a lot of advertisement or a fad, and you're like. Oh,
0: this is there's gosh that's a great question there's lots of stuff to be honest the right I, I guess it changes right now I'm having a hard time with just social media in general because if it's not about butts abs and diets then no one cares
1: and a lot of it's surgically people are surgically altering or they're using the apps to appear in that way and then mm-hmm. trying to sell an idea that's that's frustrating for me.
0: Yeah. And there's a whole area of social wellness too, that is super interesting. And if you ever want to get into that I'm happy to talk about it, you know, there's lots of great things that social media does, but also when it comes to body image, you mentioned earlier, Rudy and things like that, you really have to know how to, how to interpret it. You know, you're seeing everyone else's highlight reels and you're seeing altered images and, but you know, all these before and after pictures and the, you know, everyone's uh, the biggest pitch is look better naked, right. All this stuff that Mm -hmm. perpetuates the idea that your best self must be your lowest body fat and thinnest self. And that is probably the thing right now that bugs me the most. But yeah, lots of stuff bugs me.
2: My God. Speaking of that, Rich, this this whole like BMI calculator of mm-hmm. like, if you're this age and this height, it has to be this. It's just, it, I guess that's dictated at the national level and handed down. How is that even applicable to every human being? Is that Do you have any thoughts on that? I'm just I'm curious.
0: BMI's. I mean, it's okay. It doesn't take into account sort of how muscled somebody is. Yeah. Right. Because someone who's five seven and heavily muscled would be considered obese on a BMI scale because it's just height and weight. And it's fine because it's a standard that works for you know most people. But they're probably sedentary. It's used by insurance companies and physicians, and it's an easy calculation to make when you're deciding does someone qualify for a certain treatment or not. Right. So it has that. But if you're looking at BMI as sort of an absolute measure of where you were at, I don't recommend just relying on that. If someone wants to use it for sort of institutionally, you know, they have to do something that's quick and easy. Right. But for BMI, for, for an individual, if I'm coaching somebody, I'm not going to rely on BMI. Okay.
2: Okay. That's really helpful, man. Thank you. Thank you very
1: much. Rich, thank you so much. Thank you for your time. This is great information. This was a fun talk. I loved it.
0: Oh, I'm, good! I'm uh, so glad to catch up with you guys and be on. Thank you for having I, me. I can't
2: wait to share this with uh, all of our mutual friends, man. And if, <laughs> if you if you if you do come out to L.A. and escape the scorpions uh, out there in ariz and hot ass Arizona, man, look me up. I'd love to. I'd love to uh, have a, a fitness smoothie
0: with. Actually, I just like to have a beer. No, I'm no, sorry, I I know we're talking like, about fitness, but I'd like to have a beer. beer.
1: Okay, yeah, yeah
0: beer. beer. Do we, we need to talk <laughs> about wellness. That too. Like that's a whole other thing too. Like the wellness thing around food and relationship with food. That I'm. I'm happy to come back and talk about that one because yes, Rudy, totally not Very get a smoothie. Cool. We are absolutely having a beer. Absolutely, <laughs> I'd love I'd love that, man. That sounds good. Okay, Rich. Have a good
1: day. Thank you so All much. All right.
0: Thank you both. We'll talk to you. Take later. care, man.
1: Good is in the details is produced by Dr. Gwendolyn Dolsky and Rudy Salo. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts and you're enjoying the show, please scroll down to the bottom and hit that five star review. Or take a screenshot of your favorite episode and tag us on Instagram, Good is in the details Pod. And if you'd like extra content and to join our book club, go to patreon.com/slash Good is in the details. You can also support the pod that way. Okay, until
2: next time, bye.